everybody. I'm Ashton Demery. And I'm Nicole Demery. And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study, where we learn that there's no such thing as too many rules. <laughs> and more rules on top of those rules. And amendments to those rules. And other rules that contradict those rules, but <laughs> are really only complementary. <laughs> okay, so last time we left off, uh, all the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They are grabbing their unleavened bread. Because they're in a hurry, so it hasn't risen. Or maybe it's because God decided that they shouldn't have unleavened bread. That's a little unclear. And they're also holding all the Egyptians at God point. Being like, hey, you saw what God did to your kids. (laughs) Like, give us all your jewelry. And then they're leaving. And then the next part is another description of directions for how the Passover should go. And this is how I imagine God giving this to Moses. These directions to Moses. Like, hey, like... Uh, make a note of this. So, I don't want any foreigners there. I don't think there should be any foreigners. But it would be kind of messed up if slaves couldn't participate because, like, you own them and they are your property. But, like, only if they're circumcised. Because uh, uncircumcision is gross. Uh, but also, no hired servants because they're technically foreigners. So, I don't really want them there. Uh, you have to eat it in the house. Don't take any of your food outside. Also, don't break bones. I don't want to see anybody breaking bones at the party. Um, You know, but actually foreigners can participate, but only if they get circumcised. And definitely no uncircumcised people. Definitely not. All right. Did you get all that? I I think I got (laughs) all of that. One of the things that never gets discussed explicitly in here is what about women, which is common. Like, it's like they're an afterthought most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I just like. Is a woman circumcised by default, or how does that work exactly? And I don't see it ever talked about explicitly here. That's a good point. I feel like I have been more conscious of the lack of women, but I think occasionally I do slip back into that old mindset of just like, I don't know, they're not really there. I guess that's not really a big deal. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I actually looked it up to see whether or not women are allowed to participate in the Passover mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff in Jewish culture. And apparently later on in the Bible, they come back and they're like, oh, well, what about, you know, how does this apply to women? Yeah. And women are considered circumcised by default. They are already possessing of that extra purity that circumcision gives you. Extra pure. Good. Good. Which you kind of see come up a lot in Christianity, too, and just in American culture throughout history of the idea that women are more pure, which was one of the things that was used to prevent them from participating in public life. Yeah. All right, so now we move on to the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Yep. Uh, so this one was weird to me because it's kind of like, feels like the same instructions that were part of the Passover, but it's the instruction that you're going to have seven days where you don't eat any leavened bread and you shouldn't have any leavened bread around. And then on the last day, there's a festival, which sounds a lot like the Passover to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... It reminds you that they're celebrating that they were brought out of Egypt by God. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really all there is to that. And then from there, it goes to the consecration of the firstborn. And this one I read again and again and again (laughs) because I was kind of lost as to what exactly they were trying to drive home and kind of lawyering it a little bit with what exactly the instruction was. Mm -hmm. So Exodus 1, it doesn't talk about redeeming anything. It just simply says... All of the firstborn are gods, right? Whether they are male or female, all firstborn, and that includes animals and children. Okay. Then you go on to Exodus 11 through 
16, they have to sacrifice all of the firstborn males of the flock. They must redeem the firstborn donkeys and sons, redeem the firstborn donkeys with a lamb or break their neck. And then it says that the firstborn sons are also to be redeemed. Okay, so what is a firstborn son? Is that like if you're born first and you are the son, or is it you are the first son to the family? So they they seem to kind of clarify that in other parts of the same passage where they say all of the firstborn children who are sons or all of the first to open the womb that are sons. Okay. So that would mean that you could potentially have a family of you know five children, including males and females, that none of this, it didn't apply to any of them. Okay. So it's only if you have a son first. Gotcha. Okay. So the question I kept coming back to is what happens if you don't redeem your son? And based on the structure of that sentence, so early in Exodus 1, they say all of the firstborn belong to God, whether they are sons or daughters, whether they're animal or human, right? they belong to God. It doesn't specify anything else. Then in Exodus 11 through 16, it specifies only the firstborn sons. And it says the firstborn male sheep will be sacrificed to God. Firstborn male donkeys should be redeemed with a sheep. And if you don't, then you should break its neck. Okay. Then it says right after that, that the firstborn sons should also be redeemed. So to me, what that implies is that if you don't redeem your son, they belong to God as a sacrifice. Mm-mm. Christians and Jews are pretty adamant that that is not the case. God would never have anyone sacrifice a child to God. And I don't think that is an accurate interpretation. Yeah, going back to this. Isaac. Who... Exactly. Yeah, that's one of the examples. Isaac, clearly God was asking him to at least show that he would sacrifice his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, also. Which so... you think is the same thing here. It's saying. You know, most people are going to kill the sheep. They're not going to kill their son. But God is saying, like, in replace of sacrificing your son, give me a sheep. Right. In principle, you should sacrifice your son to me, but I'm a forgiving God and I'll let you sacrifice a sheep instead. Yeah. How this is understood today is that the child belongs to the temple and you must kind of buy the child back. And later, a alternative to a sheep gets specified as just a cash payment. That's so funny to me when money becomes involved with God stuff because I don't know why, but like animal sacrifices have always fit into my idea of what gods want. But the thought of being like, give me your money, I just never saw that as being worth, you know, like that's such a yeah. weird thing for a I don't god know that to money ask for. Existed in the early cult. Of, I know, yeah. but we're talking about like later on, like. I'm specifically thinking of when it becomes a thing for Catholics to pay for their sins. Yeah. And then offering in all Christian denominations. Another thing about this, if you look back to the part where Moses is about to be killed by God, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly Zipporah circumcises their son, and that alleviates Mm -hmm. that burden. Right. So another interpretation of what might have been going on in the early cult of Yahweh, as some of them call it, Mm -hmm. is that there were, circumcision would have been treated as a sort of blood sacrifice, as redeeming your child from God, Mm. using circumcision as that redemption, as opposed to a lamb. That kind of makes sense. The one thing that kind of stuck in my mind from the consecration of the firstborn is it says, like, 
when like the children ask you, why did you kill a sheep when I was born? Tell them it was because you're supposed to remember that time God killed a bunch of babies to free you from Egypt. Which yeah. again, gives credence to the idea that this was about sacrifice because it's a reminder of your kids should have been sacrificed and I'm freeing them of that. Mm-hmm. This brings up the question of whether or not child sacrifice actually was practiced in early versions of the cult that later became Judaism and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And scholars in general agree that it probably did happen, which people don't like at all. But yeah, I think well, it's I just think it's, it is interesting because it's just like the projection then of them later claiming that all these Satanist groups are sacrificing children and animals. And I feel like so. When we came out as atheists to our family, it kind of became like this running joke for some of them to some of the family members to say to us, oh, I don't care what you believe as long as you're not sacrificing animals. Yeah. And I'm like, that's your thing, though. <laughs> that's yeah. what you do. <laughs> yeah. And or used to do. And nobody's sacrificing animals anymore. But it's in the Bible. It's pretty clear that it, there was a point where you guys were pretty often sacrificing animals to your God. Right. And potentially children, like what we're talking about right now. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that if I walked up to a Christian today and I said, hey, did you know that this religion used to sacrifice children to their God? And it was a non-Christian, non-Jewish religion. It was some, quote, pagan religion. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to provide any evidence. Mm. They wouldn't question it at all. They would just say, well, yeah, right? Because you don't need evidence to confirm that because it's, just an understood belief that pagans are primitive and they generally did that. Yeah. But there's this belief that Christianity and Judaism are special and that they're just better than all the other ones and wouldn't you have to provide an exorbitant amount of evidence to get people to believe that. Yeah. Also, maybe this is just me, but animal sacrifice doesn't really bother me. Well, it's what as long eating as, an animal is. That's what I was thinking. I was like, but I mean, as long as you eat it. Like if you like kind of ceremoniously kill an animal uh, for everybody to feast on the imagery of that doesn't affect me it doesn't make me think that they're savages or something yeah i mean i think there's ways that you could kill an animal that obviously appear to me to be cruel and yeah like unusual. painful like torturing of them but my brother was in agriculture growing up and he was he raised a pig and they, i can't believe they put high schoolers through this so basically these high schoolers raise a pig or go, or, you know, they get to pick their animal. And I don't know if this is the case for every animal, but for specifically for those who raise pigs, at the end of their time, fattening up this animal to, like, be shown at the state fair and everything, then they get to kill the animal. And so my brother shot this pig in the face uh, and watched it run around squealing until it, like, banged its head against the wall and passed out. And they bled it out. And then he had to go to school that day. Yeah, it's a rough time. Yeah, I just like, uh, so weird. So yeah, I mean, we we have to kill animals to eat them. I don't know if there's like a really humane way to go about killing an animal, but yeah, certainly not, you know, don't peel its flesh while it's still alive or anything creepy like that. Like, obviously yeah. I'm not okay with that, but, you know, we do eat animals, so you have to kill it to eat it. Yep. So next uh, we have the pillars of cloud and smoke. Uh, so God decides to take them on the scenic route. Uh, toward the Red Sea. He doesn't want him to come across other people that might have conflict with them. And then he leads them using a pillar of clouds in the day, and then at night it's a pillar of fire. And they're just following that around, and they end up camping at Etham. Mm-hmm. 
Then God has them camp between Migdol and the sea, and he again hardens the Pharaoh's heart Mm -hmm. so that the Pharaoh pursues them and uh, brings his armies to attack them. And the direct quote is that it gave God the chance, quote, to gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord. So God hardens the Pharaoh's heart to cause this conflict in order to glorify himself. Yeah. What a great guy. And uh, so the Israelites are really mad at Moses. They're like, why did you bring us out here to just get sl- slaughtered? Mm-hmm. Which they make it <laughs> seem like that's an unreasonable thing to be asking. But I, I mean, I get that. Like, no one's telling you the plan. You think yeah, God is confused. the one... It- you know, you don't know that God is the one hardening Pharaoh's heart to come over to kill them. So you're just like, wait, well, I thought that we were fine. That's why we were able to ask them for our jewelry, their jewelry and all that stuff. Yeah. They're so afraid of us. So I thought we were in the clear. And now it seems like we were just brought out here to all die in one big group. Right. So then uh, God causes a, he causes a strong wind from the east that blows the seas apart and creates uh, an opening so that they can walk across the Red Sea. They start walking into it, and the cloud moves between them. Uh, and then God hardens the heart of the Pharaoh again so that the Egyptians will pursue, and he can get glory for himself. Uh, so they follow them into the Red Sea, and as they're following, God sort of just creates chaos among them so that they're all just running wild, and the wheels on the chariots are falling apart, and they're just all lost. And at some point, they decide they're going to retreat. God doesn't like retreat. So he then has Moses close the Red Seas as they are retreating to kill all of them. A merciful God we have. Yeah. And then they write a song about it. (laughs) Yeah. So they have uh, the song of Moses, which is just a retelling of all those terrible events of God killing all of the Egyptians. And it's a scary song. It sounds like something somebody had to write at gunpoint. Like, oh my God, I love you so much, God. Like, you killed so many people and it was so rad and so cool. <laughs> and I am so scared of you and please don't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love you so much. And then they have another part uh, called the Song of Miriam. But of course, women are singing it. It's that tambourine. <laughs> Aaron's sister is singing it with all the women. So this part's very short. They're just like, yeah, some women sing. It's literally like one line. Yeah, well, it looks like it's just the chorus. Okay, yeah. And then, so going back to the Red Sea again, though, mm-hmm. I looked into some of the discussions about what, if if this were to happen, right, what would it take to make the parting of the Red Seas occur? Okay. Something scientifically equivalent to that, at least. Okay. So there are parts of the Red Sea and other seas, if potentially this was just the wrong, like a typo or something, not a typo, but. A mistranslation or something. Or yeah. Yeah that have shallower portions and if you had massive storm surge you'd have parts that become shallow enough to walk across okay the storm surge required you would have to have 60 mile per hour winds or greater in order to have this happen so they'd be walking against 60 mile per hour winds Mm. throughout all this and that would have to be sustained for the amount of time that it would take them to walk across it and then it would have to all of a sudden just stop which is not how storms work in order to just cause the entire sea to crash over the Egyptians. Yeah. You don't have to find a fancy explanation for how this could possibly happen. I just don't believe it. I just no, it didn't happen. happen I know. I, just, I was just curious. I know, that. like potential. Because they say a wind pushed the sea back. What would that take, you know, mm-hmm. to make that happen? And it takes several hours of that storm surge to make the land become open in the first place. Mm. All right, so 
They made it out of that mess. Now they are in the wilderness of Shur. They make it all the way to this place called Mara, and there is nothing to drink. I don't know when the last time anybody had something to drink. They finally find some water, but I guess it tastes bad. It's bitter. So they, not they, Moses throws some wood into the water, and it makes the water sweet and drinkable. So everybody gets something to drink. Next, the people are complaining that life was better in Egypt. Uh, and they're asking Moses why they were brought out there again just to die because they're hungry. Moses admonishes them for complaining about being hungry. <laughs> and when they're saying, why did you bring us out here to die? They say this several times. Why did you bring us out here to die? And growing up, I always felt like, oh, they're whining. Like, God saved them. They're clearly complaining. They have no no gratitude for what like God has done to them kind of thing. But right. it makes sense that they would be complaining about not having food or water. Those are like basic things that people need, which brings me to my point of like, God just doesn't seem to understand what people need to survive. Like he's constantly like, oh my God, like I just saved you from Egypt and now you want water and food? Like what? He's just like a kid who's been begging his mom for a pet and then he finally gets it and he has no idea how to take care of it. He's just (laughs) like, wait, you guys need bread again? You, I just fed you yesterday. You need it again? Yeah. And they're like, yes, God, we're hungry. So he makes it rain bread, and it's, it explains the bread super weird. So it's like it rains, and then it dries up at the surface, and then the people can like pick it up off the ground and eat it that way, and they call it manna. Uh, and I looked into like what manna was, like what it could possibly be. Again, I'm like you. I like to find the explanations for these things. Yeah, and there's like a couple. Futile as that may be. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple things that it might be, but it doesn't fit the description perfectly, and it probably isn't it. It's just like this made up supernatural substance, basically. Mm-hmm. And so in um in rabbinical literature, it's just a supernatural thing that comes from God. And uh, <laughs> I just made a this little note of something that I thought was funny. Apparently, it doesn't create any waste. Like, your body absorbs, like, it's all of its nutrients. And so they didn't poop this entire mm. time that they were out in the desert for 40 years or whatever it was. Nobody made a poop in 40 years. Wow. Yeah? They were just so pure. <laughs> yeah, the point you made about sort of the admonishment, I, I feel like I was taught all that same thing as a kid all the time. It was always this, like, oh, you ever gotten a little bit hungry and then you just start complaining? And it's like, no, these people are walking in the desert yeah probably by the time they're complaining it's been four days since they've eaten you know yeah they should be complaining about a lot more things like do they have shelter like have they bathed at all in this time like basic human needs why did god make us if he had no idea how to take care of us yeah so next the israelites get thirsty again Mm -hmm. and so they complain to moses that there's no water and moses again admonishes them asks why they're quarreling and testing the lord uh, and it feels to me like a narrative about obeying those in authority and kings and stuff, right? If you're poor and the kings are rich and you're not getting enough of your needs, stop complaining, stop calling on them to fix it. Just continue to be obedient and what you need will come. Yeah, but it seems to me, it seems like those things weren't going to come. Like they're only happening because people are loudly complaining about it to God. And he's like, oh, okay, fine, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't seem like. I was getting to that if you all had just been a little more patient. Right. Uh, so then he instructs some of the elders to come with him, and they strike a rock at Horeb, and it makes water flow out, creates a river. Then they're attacked by Amalek. 
Mm-hmm. And this one's this one's a funny story. Yeah. Moses sends Joshua out to lead the men, and he stands at the top of a hill and he conducts. <laughs> He's the conductor of the battle. Yeah. And so he raises his arms, and when he raises his arms, the Israelites are winning. And when he lowers his arms, the uh, Amalek Amalek is winning, which makes me wonder. I mean, I can't imagine that you would see instantaneously a change in the in who's winning the battle. It's not that obvious. So. I mean, how much did he do this before he was certain, ah, it's me that's controlling this battle, <laughs> you know? Uh, so he gets tired, and they give him a stone to sit on, and then Aaron and her are holding up his hands to, to make sure that the Israelites will win. Uh, and then God, after that, says that he will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven after they win the battle. But then it says that Moses tells the Israelites that they will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. If you're blotting them out, I don't understand why we're having this forever war. But yeah, that's what it says. Uh, then Jethro uh, gives some father-in-law invi- advice to Moses. He comes out into the wilderness. And it's not really clear if he already knew everything that Moses had done and that the Israelites had done. Because mm-hmm. uh, it first says that he knew he had heard of everything. And then later it says that Moses tells him of everything. Well, it's also weird to me is when did Sapporah and the kids leave? Because we had that whole story about they're traveling with Moses to Egypt to do all this. And then at some point they get sent back. Yeah, it says that they were living with Jethro this whole time. Uh, I think it's another source inconsistency. That first part seems clearly from a different source than Mm. from the other part. And so Moses is the kind of sole leader of this whole tribe of, they say, 600,000 people. And they're all coming to him with all their little things, and he's just constantly being the judge over them. Yeah. And uh, Jethro looks at this, and he's like, this is, this is all wrong. So he gives him his 60-second manager book <laughs> so he can do some self-help. Basically, he tells him, he teaches him how to create a court system, essentially. I mean, this is the one part of the Bible with actually some good stuff in it. It's like... Oh, I disagree. Really? It yeah. seems to me that he created what we have in you know, democracy, which is no. a layered system of courts in which... With a jury, not just dudes that are king-like and was like, yeah, you seem like a good person. You go around and judge what should be happening with these people. So that's fair, but juries don't apply to every case in the U.S. either, right? Jury would that's be true. a yeah. criminal case, but for everything else, for disputes over land or whatever else, you would just go to a judge and you would be tiered up as... If you can't get it settled at one judge, you go to the next judge. So, but here's I don't what I don't bad. like. I think it's bad because <laughs> here's why: it's only men, first oh, of sure. all, so that's bad. Second of all, it's not like they are elected officials by the people. It's just Moses, one dude, deciding who he thinks are good people to go around and judge all these other people. And I don't agree with that. I don't think that's how things should be run. That's true. All of this is yeah, men dictating everything and yeah the women have nothing to do with it yeah when but it, jethro it, certainly makes a market improvement over the old system well yeah it's better than everybody just going to the one guy to solve everything but it's still a stupid system and it's not just because it's only men it is also just because there is one person moses who is saying like i like you you seem like a nice dude now go out and judge all these people yeah but he's chosen by god Nicole. yeah whatever fuck that <laughs> All right, and then 
Jethro leaves. It's not super clear if he leaves with Sephora and the children or if they end up just staying with Moses, but whatever. They're women and children, so who cares about them anyways? And eventually... I kept looking at that and just trying to figure out where they were at the end of this. If they were just not supposed to be coming to Canaan Mm -hmm. or what. Maybe we'll find out later. Yeah. Okay, so then the Israelites reach Mount Sinai. Well, they reach the wilderness of Mount Sinai, and God says that they've all seen how he graciously delivered them from Egypt. So if they do everything he says, then he will take really, really good care of them. And they agree to this. God says, awesome. I'll be there in a few days in cloud form to tell you all the things that I like specifically want you to do or not do. All right. So then before God is allowed to come to them in cloud form, people need to be consecrated. So he wants all the people washed and clean for his arrival in three days. And nobody can go near the mountain. Only Moses is allowed near the mountain. If they go near the mountain, then the people have to stone them or shoot them with arrows because people can't touch the person who touched the mountain. And even animals that touch the mountain will die, which seems a little ridiculous to me. When they are allowed to go near the mountain, they will hear a trumpet. The other thing about, so, okay, so everybody is like getting ready for God to arrive. They're cleaning themselves. They're not touching this mountain. And they also aren't allowed to have sex with their wives. Yeah, I <laughs> I saw that and I just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, so women are the most, we just had this discussion about how women are so pure they don't have to go through circumcision or anything like that. But also having sex with them is unpure though. If you have sex with your wife, like that will make you dirty. You are unclean. Yeah, well, I was looking at it and that's the way I first read it. And then I was like, okay, let's, what's the most, What's the most friendly way to interpret this? Okay. And the most friendly way to interpret it would be to say, well, it's not about women. It's just saying that they shouldn't, people shouldn't have sex, right? Before mm-hmm. they go to, what, what's the, they're about? They're, it's before they can go, well, they don't even get to go see God. In, okay. But it's before God can get there, all the people have to be clean. So it's saying that they, they shouldn't have sex before God comes to them as a cloud. But the point here is, even if you interpret it that way, what this means is this whole thing is only from the perspective of men yeah you shouldn't go near women means you shouldn't have sex which is saying that this whole story is about men and for men only for straight men too oh, sure, specifically yeah. yeah yeah and i think this is a thing that really fucks with people when it comes to religion is this policing of people's bodies and Giving people this idea that having sex is this dirty, unclean act. Yeah. Also, the way this whole thing is set up is so con artisty. Yeah, this whole like, oh, all these don't come near the mountain. Do you hear me? Don't come near the mountain. Don't come near the mountain. I was getting like <laughs> and I'm just Joseph picturing... uh, Mormon vibes. Like, yeah, John Smith. Right? Yeah, jo- sorry, John Smith. Yeah. Only I can read the the tablet kind Definitely. of thing. Definitely. Yes, I was absolutely getting that. I was like, okay, it's a little suspicious yeah. that. I'm just, I was picturing a modern day version of this where it's like, hey, I'm going to go behind the church and God is going to speak to me. And he's sitting back there with his friend and they've got like a megaphone or something. Uh-huh. And if you come here, you'll die. <laughs> yeah. And it really, to me, it's an early thing that's repeated in the Bible, which is just an idea about, to me, it's an early version of a Christian and Jewish tradition or really all religious tradition of not seeking evidence. Like, yes. It is a sin to look for evidence. Mm-hmm. It is a sin to ask for evidence of God. And that it's going to get repeated again and again. It's one of the first ways that they're, they're giving you that message. 
Yeah, and I love that it's not even that God will smite you. It's that the other people will have to stone you. Right. So they will, like, they are policing it within themselves. Yeah. Yeah, really ingenious, but also terrible. So next, Moses delivers the Ten Commandments to all the people. So this is what God tells them. He says not to make idols because he's a jealous God, and he'll get really angry if you do that. And then he kind of goes off on this tangent making really weird flexes, like he'll punish children for the parents' shortcomings up until the third or fourth generation if they if they don't believe. Uh, but he'll show steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who do love him. Which I think means that we're covered because our parents both still believe. But I don't know what that says about our... If we, well, not that we're going to have kids, but if we were, what, what would happen to them? Would they be covered underneath our parents' love or would they start getting punished? I'm sure there's a complex algorithm that determines <laughs> the exact amount of love you're supposed to, supposed to get from God based it, on generation. Yeah, does it matter how much I don't believe or how much my parents do believe? Well, if they, if they, they probably have to weigh me. out the number of generations before you that believe. Mm. Next, we have don't wrongfully use the Lord's name, which growing up, to me, I was always told that meant I, I wasn't allowed to say, God damn it. Yeah. Interestingly, I feel like Christians specifically really focus this one on teenagers saying oh my god and stuff like that yeah okay yes how did i forget that yeah my parents would freak out even if i said oh my gosh they'd be like oh i know what you mean i know what you're like trying to say so yeah yeah they weren't my parents oh it was said to me one time but they weren't like always down my i feel like i heard your parents say something about it at some point yeah almost adults it's never like i was punished for it but they would mention it like oh hey like you know like watch that yeah but really this applies to a lot more things than just that and i think it's only christians that really have that narrow interpretation of it right so this is also you know politicians who use god as part of their platform okay that's what when i was reading it i was like this feels like it's more saying you shouldn't use god to justify inhumane things by saying like oh this is what god would want kind of thing exactly understand that oh my God, or stuff like that, using God's name just sort of loosely would have been interpreted by early Israelites to be kind of the same thing, right? They didn't use the name Yahweh. Mm-hmm. They just they didn't even write it out. So I think that's where that comes from, but they're definitely missing a lot of the reason for why this is there. Okay, and then next we have, you have to rest on Sundays, which never really gets followed, I feel like. I mean, no. in my family, we kind of tried to do that. But, you know, if there was chores to do and stuff, we'd still do it. So that one just kind of gets ignored, I feel like. Yeah. And then we have honor your father and mother, which I, I guess. that one pretty seriously. Yeah. yeah. It's like respect your elders kind of thing. And there's no murder, no adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, which is generally interpreted as don't lie. Do not covet what other people have. And yeah. And that's the last one. And yeah, that one. The big standout thing in that one is the part about your neighbor's wife, because it's included in a long list of things that are possessions. Mm -hmm. And then, again, reiterates at the end, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Yeah. So there's no real weaseling out of the wife possession part of this in the Bible. Yeah. Were you taught growing up that even thinking of these things was a sin? Yes. Yeah. See, that's insane. Like, it's impossible to follow these. If I was a kid and somebody had, like, the littlest pet shop that I wanted, of course I'm going to covet that and want it. And it's just so insane (laughs) that that's, like, a sin. 
not supposed to want anything were you except also, for a closer connection to God. Yeah. Were you also taught that all the sins were equal to each other? Yeah. I that don't know where that so even comes insane. from. But. Yeah. Because that's not. Okay. There's nothing that we read in this passage about thinking is the same thing as doing it. Literally, it's just talking about the action of doing it. And there's also nothing in here about that says all these sins are the same. I think there's something in the New Testament they get that from. Okay. That makes sense. Because I was like, there's nothing like that in here. And that's such a weird thing to be like, oh, yeah, murder is the same thing as telling a lie. Yeah. Honestly, the testament that I'm really glad that I don't feel obligated to follow anymore is the lying one. You mean like if somebody asks you just like a trivial thing that you don't want to hurt their feelings or something like that, or there's no use in. Yeah. Well, not even sometimes. It's just so convenient to just lie sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I used to get really like bent out about it, but it's not a big deal. I mean, I'm not talking about like hurting people, like telling people like hurtful lies, but just like you want to get out. I I think I'm mostly talking about I don't want to go to part if I don't want to go somewhere. Then I can just make an excuse and lie and not feel bad about it. Also, one of the other ones I thought was interesting in there. So there's the one about uh, making for yourself an idol, which is an obvious thing that Christians and and religious people have always been pretty heavy on especially if it's a monotheistic religion Mm -hmm. so it's also for orthodox jews and for a long time in jewish culture was interpreted to mean that you shouldn't really make art oh really because it talks about anything you shouldn't make an object of anything in the heavens or the earth below which you could see that as just meaning like don't worship a bull or something that is an object on the earth and worship it as an idol either but it has been interpreted to mean you really shouldn't make images Okay, that kind of makes sense because there was a time period where all art was religious. Yeah, well, it, Jewish temples didn't have art, really. Yeah. That was something that when the Romans Like they weren't sieged, decorated at all? Is yeah, that when okay. the Romans sieged uh, Jewish temples, they thought they were atheists because they didn't see any imagery of godlike figures and things like that because how they interpreted this. Hmm, that's so interesting. That would fucking suck if it meant no art. Yeah. Or if you believe that and you thought that you can make art or have art in your house. Yeah, it's a thing in strict Muslim cultures, too. They don't really yeah. do any art. Yeah. But, I mean, they do. It's all, like, geometric stuff, though. Like, mosaics. It, it would depend, yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on how strict the interpretation is. Yeah. Okay. So those are all the commandments. And then it starts talking about how everyone is, like, really scared because the lightning is causing fires. And Moses tells the people that this is good because they're supposed to be afraid of God so they don't sin. So then God tells them that they also should not make idols of him, but they should sacrifice animals to him. So altars are totally cool, but he has specific things that he doesn't want to happen with the altars. The most notable being that he doesn't want there to be steps up to the altar in case he sees your nakedness. Yeah, he doesn't want to see men's junk when they walk up to the (laughs) altar in their skirts. Which is interesting because he's obsessed with men's penises. Yeah, he should be wanting to check to make sure they're circumcised. Yeah, this would be an opportunity to smite anyone who's not following his laws. Also, my church definitely, and I think most churches, have steps up to the altar because it's like a stage. Is that really the altar? We, we have what it is called an altar in the Catholic Church. Okay, I remember there being an altar in front of the stage that was wooden. No, that's the, like, we have that too. That's where the readings are done by people who aren't the priest usually but there we have like a literal like marble altar and as an altar server i had to like decorate it with like the chalice and the bread and stuff Hmm. i don't know 
Right. But yeah, we didn't follow that, I guess. Guess not. And I'm pretty sure there's a part in there that says you're not allowed to like chisel something in it. I'm almost positive there was some kind of design chiseled into our altar. Yeah, I mean, I guess once men stopped wearing skirts, maybe it was fine. <laughs> Next, we have the laws concerning slaves. So this part gets really bad. It's just a set of laws about how Hebrews should have their slaves. So if it's a male Hebrew slave, he should serve for six years, and then he's done. It has a whole discussion about the wives of slaves, where it's like, if he comes in single, he should stay single. If he comes in with a wife, he can keep his wife. But if he comes in and then he has a wife and children in the house of his master, those all belong to the master. So I think this is sort of a thing where a master can build the size of his household mm-hmm. by allowing his slaves to have children. But those are all for the master, essentially. Yeah. And it, what's messed up is the way that it's worded. Is it So the slave can leave, uh, but he can't take his wife and children. But if he loves his master so much, like that's what it says. If he loves his master, then he can stay and be a slave forever with him and, you know, be with his wife and family. But that's so stupid because the only, in my mind, the only reason that he would want to stay and do that is for his wife and his children to be with them. So basically like this person who is owning other people is holding children and wives hostage to keep their slaves for the rest of their life. Yeah, and saying, oh, you love me so much in my home that you want to be here. So we also have rules about sex trafficking, essentially, which was basically marriage at that time. So a man can sell off his daughter to a man, and she doesn't just serve for six years. She's for life. If he gets tired of her as a wife, he can't sell her off to foreign people, and he can pass her off to his son, but he has to treat her as a daughter. And if he takes another wife, he has to basically continue to pay for her meals and stuff like this. Now, some of the people that were interpreting this were really adamant that this was not polygamy, which is absurd. This is that's what they're saying. They're not saying that he divorced her because that part comes at the end. Yeah. He's saying that he takes another wife and he has to continue to pay for her living. Now, if he doesn't want to do any of these things, he doesn't have to, I guess. He doesn't have to follow the rules. He can just let her walk free with absolutely nothing to live off on her own yeah which basically is a death sentence for a woman at this time right there's like nothing that they can really do other than be a prostitute i guess right so then there's some other stuff i want to get to about the slavery discussion but before that i'm going to talk about the laws concerning violence because they come back to slavery in this yeah so if you kill a person you're put to death if it's not premeditated then they appoint a place where you can flee i don't know if this is like a hunt or what that's supposed to be. That like part a was banishment. Really yeah, I guess banishment. Yeah. If you strike or curse a father or mother, then you're put to death. If you kidnap someone, you're put to death. If two people fight and someone is injured but recovers, they're not put to death, but they have to pay for the medical fees and whatever else. But if you do kill them, you are put to death. If a slave owner strikes and kills a slave, they're going to be punished. However, if that slave survives a day or two and gets back up and can continue being a slave, there is no punishment. So the thing I want to come back to, I I looked into what Christians have to say about slavery in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I found this article in Pathios, which is a website that just does a lot of religious articles from a variety of perspectives on different faiths and stuff like that. And so this guy's a progressive Christian by the name of Kelly Williams. And his whole discussion is about how the Bible does not 
condone slavery or modern slavery, specifically the slavery that was in the United States. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that overall conclusion based on the fact that this is talking about generally indentured servitude, at least with the exception of women. You're talking about Mm -hmm. people who are volunteering to serve for some period of time as a slave. And they're just different treatment of people than you're talking about when you're talking about chattel slavery, which is what we had in the United States, right? Slaves were chattel. They were property. They were bought and sold. They were bred as animals and then sold off. This kind of thing. Yeah. It's very different. So I would agree with that overall conclusion. But he does a lot to defend this, which I think is pretty abysmal, right? This is contemptible in my mind. No, yeah, totally. So the worst part about this eat almost goes as far as to say that this is an acceptable way of Oh my living. God, of owning people? He at least says that the Bible understands this to be an acceptable way of life. Okay. And he seems to support that, which is interesting as a progressive Christian. But his thing that he keeps coming back to again and again and again is it's voluntary, which is true with the exception of women. Mm-hmm. And... It's voluntary, but it's only, I, I'm imagining that these people only volunteered to do this because they had nothing better. Like they had no other prospects of them, but it's still not acceptable to make people like a lower class, you know, think of them as less than human. Like you're allowed to beat them. Right. Exactly. That's, this is serfdom, right? Mm-hmm. They're so poor that they can't make it on their own and they have to sell themselves as slaves. It's the only way they're going to get food on their plate. And that's not acceptable. Yeah. We shouldn't be making our poor today work as slaves because they're poor, even if they are volunteering to do it because they don't have any other option. Right. That's not acceptable. And really the problem with all of this is just that a lot of the, the stuff that he keeps pointing to is parts of the scripture that seem to denounce violence against slaves and stuff like that. And he uses that to discount the parts that say that violence is okay. And that's just, it doesn't make any sense. They contradict each other. He says that, yeah, while it says that if a slave is beaten and then gets up in two days, that's okay. Well, it also says that if you beat a slave and break their teeth or hurt their eyes, then you're also going to be held responsible. That's true. But again, clearly they beat somebody so badly that they were in bed for two days. That's clearly saying that you can abuse your slaves. Yeah. If anything, you should interpret this and say those are somewhat contradictory statements because this one does seem to be implying that overall, if you hurt your slave, then there's consequences for you. The overall problem, I think, with how progressive Christians and fundamentalists alike interpret the Bible is that they think that there is some overarching ideological consistency that belongs to God Mm -hmm. and that you're supposed to read that out of the Bible. But that just doesn't exist. Yeah. and. Essentially, what they're doing is just picking and choosing. Right. And and that's like the, I mean, that's super common. And it's also the most frustrating part because whenever I have conversations with my family about, like, okay, well, what about this? They almost act like you shouldn't even read the Old Testament. Yeah. Like you should just ignore everything that's in the Old Testament and, and just focus on like what's in the New Testament. And it's like, Okay, but then why do you have it? Why do we study it in church? Like, what's the point of it? Yeah, get rid of being it. Being there. Yeah, just get rid of it in general if you're going to go that route. And they still, and like, clearly we still take things from the Old Testament. There are still like the Ten Commandments 
they don't throw those out. Those are still like heavily taught in churches. Like Absolutely. If you look at the Old Testament from a modern perspective with the predetermined conclusion and the right one that slavery is wrong, you can somehow find that in the Bible. But if you're in a time period where you're not sure about it, you can also come to the conclusion that slavery is acceptable under certain contexts. Yeah. And that's a problem, right? It's one thing to understand that there are people at this time with different perspectives and their different theological perspectives are showing up in the Bible and causing these contradictions. Mm -hmm. And to say, hey, they're not horrible, terrible people. This was common at the time. And to understand it in that context and say, yeah, we shouldn't be using 5,000-year-old morals to determine our morals today, I think that is appropriate. Yeah. It's not appropriate to understand this as the Word of God. Right. They go on after that and they talk about uh, if you beat a woman who's pregnant and you cause her to have a miscarriage, you're not going to be put to death. One of the few where you're not put to death. Instead, you'll pay a fine determined by the husband because he gets to say how much that child is worth. Yeah, okay, and this part. This to me says that the Bible doesn't see a fetus as human life because up until this point, we've seen that every time you take a human life, you have to be put to death. But this time, if you kill a fetus, it's simply a fine. Right. Yeah, and it talks about in other parts that a child is included in all the rules that apply to adults for if you kill a child. Mm-hmm. So they're clearly setting apart separate rules for how fetuses are treated. Yeah. And the Bible, like, obviously doesn't say anything about abortion in it. But I think this is a pretty clear point right here that a fetus is not on the same level as as a human being. Right. A fully developed human being, at least not according to their laws. Yeah. Uh, if you cause any more damage to the woman, though, you hurt her eye or something like that, it should be exact equal. So you lose your eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? The old saying. Yeah. How do you feel about these laws? And um, like, what did the church say to you about this kind of stuff? Like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of thing. Yeah, I never really heard them talk too much about this. They usually kind of counseled against it. Yeah, for me. This one was always taught alongside Jesus in the New Testament, saying that he would turn the other cheek if he was struck. Right. And they said that that negated uh, these old laws. So God changed his mind, I guess. Mm -hmm. Speaking of abortion and what the Bible says about unborn children, we also didn't really mention this, but God was totally fine with killing killing children in, in earlier in Exodus. Right, if they're Egyptian children. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just think it's or really... disobedient hi- Jews. Yeah, I just think it's hypocritical for Christians to make judgment calls about, you know, women who don't want to carry through pregnancies, but yet they worship a God who apparently killed already born children. Yeah. So, then we get to the laws concerning property. Uh, these ones aren't all that interesting. They're generally okay. I don't really care about them. Yeah. It's basically, you have an ox in it, goes out and hurts somebody or causes damage you're responsible to some extent you'll have to kill the ox but unless you knew that the ox was a problem and didn't do anything about it you won't be put to death but if you knew about it you're going to be put to death yeah there's not much else i want to talk about with this one because they're not that interesting so we get to the laws of restitution uh where it talks about if you steal an animal uh what the consequences will be 
if you sell it, you have to pay it five to one if it's an ox or four to one if it's a sheep. And then if they find you with it, you just pay double. An interesting one here is if a thief breaks in and tries to take stuff and it's nighttime and you kill them, you're not responsible. If you kill them in the light of day, you are responsible. Interesting. It sounds ridiculous so at first. no rules at night. Yeah, there's no <laughs> rules at night. I looked into it and it's pragmatic, I suppose, for the time. It basically is saying, so they, they would have been living in, I don't know, tents or something like that. They're relatively small communities. You would recognize anybody that came to steal your stuff in the daytime, mm-hmm. right? And presumably you're out of the house anyways. So if somebody comes and steals something, they can be taken and held responsible monetarily or whatever else in maybe a court of some sort. But if they come in at night, you're probably there. It's dark. You don't know who it is. And you kill somebody that's seen maybe as more self-defense. Okay. So, again, this doesn't pass muster in modern times, and you shouldn't use it as a rule now because it's not a universal rule of God. It's rules that were imposed in ancient times among ancient people that made sense to them. I mean, we still have these rules, though. Like, you're allowed to That's true. The stand-your-ground laws. Yeah. And that doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime. Yeah, unless it's the police. Then they can kill you in your home. Yeah, you can't defend yourself against them. Yeah. Anyways, the rest of it goes into things like if you start a fire and it consumes someone else's field or you anything that causes somebody else damage, you're going to be monetarily responsible. Again, not much more that's interesting in this. Yeah, a lot of this part just kind of feels like amendments to the Ten Commandments, like things that they're like, well, what about this? And so they just kind of, you know, made up some more rules. Yeah. Uh, last, we would get into the social and religious laws. Uh, so this includes if you seduce a virgin, then you're going to have to marry her. And then if her father, not her, if her father doesn't want her to marry you, then you just have to pay whatever it costs to marry her and move on with your life. Then we get into a really interesting one that says, you shall not permit a female sorcerer to live. Yeah, in King James, it says it says a witch. You shall not permit a witch to live. Yeah. And this, I think, is a, a major basis for, one, the persecution of witches, so-called witches. Yeah, not, they weren't witches. They were women with probably higher intelligence than what men would have liked. Or, I don't know, maybe they just knew a lot about plants. Yeah. And so they were put together. These were not, yeah. It, it's insane to me that one stupid line in this outdated fucking Bible that has been Interpreted so many times, we don't even really know if the meaning is true to what it should be. Killed so many women in early America. Right. Also, one of the things I found when I looked into this is that a lot of people, now I can't find direct primary source for this. I don't know what the primary source for determining what the correct way to interpret an ancient language is. But there seemed to be consensus that this really means specifically someone who uses incantations, magic, etc. to cause harm specifically and some believe the word really should be poisoner rather than female sorcerer or witch or something like that it's interesting that it specifically says female though yes i looked into that too apparently there's other points in the bible where it makes it clear that you know it applies to men too but basically the understanding of the time and throughout most of history was just that mostly only women do this sorcery (laughs) was considered yeah, sorcery is considered like a specifically female vice. The fuck? Um, I mean, not that I blame us. Like, 
trying to find something to... Yeah, I, I guess in a world where you hold no power... Yeah, I gotta trying look for to find something. Something, yeah. It um, also, to me, seems like an acknowledgement of magic again. And we talked about this when the... Uh, in Egypt, when the magicians there were using magic, uh, this again it feels like it's saying like there may have been other sources of miraculous powers other than God. Yeah. Another thing I was kind of interested in is, so obviously Christians for a long time have persecuted so-called witches and done the witch trials and burnings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I want to know how ancient Israelites really understood this and what it was used for. And it seems like there were sort of medicinal and herbal practices and a lot of stuff like that that were completely acceptable mm-hmm. in that time. Like, And supposedly kind of magical rituals were not that outlandish or unacceptable. Really, this would have applied to a specific type of thing that they understood to be harmful. Whereas you know, several thousand years later, when you get the early Christians, the early Christians just don't even believe that witches exist. Mm-hmm. It's considered like heresy to even claim somebody as a witch to believe that that's possible. Okay. And it's not until much later that the witch trials start and everybody goes into this panic about witches. Yeah. But I think the problem with it really is that this applies to whatever practice of the time is considered outside of the normal. One of the claims that modern day uh, Wiccans or witches who also identify as Christians make is that this never applied to them and it was just wrongfully used and this is not what it meant. Well, it meant whoever the Israelites thought were doing idolatrous and wrong magic. Mm -hmm. And then thousands of years later, it becomes whatever Christians see as outside of the normal and unacceptable practices that they don't like. Yeah. That's the problem with these kinds of rules and laws in the Bible. It's just, it's ripe for abuse. Yeah. Oh, something interesting that I found out the other day. We gave enslaved people their own bibles but it wasn't the actual bible we gave them specifically what were called slave bibles where most of it was taken out and specifically exodus was taken out because it had this whole uprising of moses freeing the slaves yeah and so it leaves in the things that say you know a good slave obeys their masters and things like that but it makes sure not to include anything where people are freeing themselves right because those parts of the bible aren't relevant and it was really absurd to me because they interview a priest and they were saying like, oh yeah, like this is terrible. Like the Bible isn't meant to be, you know, cut up and given to people this way. They should be given the whole Bible. And it was just kind of like, really dude, that's what you think about this whole thing? You don't think it's messed up that there are things in the Bible that also say, like they were given the parts of the Bible that supported the Christian narrative that it was okay to own slaves, but you're just going to talk about how people should have the whole Bible. Yeah. You know what I mean? They say about the slavery problem. Yeah. Next parts of these social and religious laws goes into you, you should not lie with an animal or you'll be put to death. Do not sacrifice to another god uh, or you'll be devoted to destruction, which uh, is another one I think, you know, if you're talking about so-called witches or Wiccans or something like that, it's hard to say that the Bible is accepting of them because probably they're mostly pagan and mm-hmm. not believing in Yahweh or whatever else. That would still be considered a crime according to Torah law. You shouldn't wrong or oppress a resident alien because you were aliens in Egypt, which yeah. is a very ignored part of the Bible amongst, uh, amongst American Christians and evangelicals. Yeah. The only Christians I could find online that wanted to talk about this were Catholics. Oh. So good for you. Thank you. 
Uh, mostly, I assume, because a lot of American Catholics, especially in the Southwest, are Latinx people. So, you know, it's hard to be a church with a mostly Latinx population and be unwilling to denounce the hatred that is leveled against immigrants in this country. Yeah. But uh, evangelicals don't really have much to say about this at all. I don't think they see what's going on in this country under Donald Trump as oppressive towards immigrants at all, apparently. Yeah. And then I did, I also find some, found some forums where people tried to start a discussion about this and point this out and nobody was having it. They were just like, oh, well, now you want the Bible to determine how people, how we should run our government. And it's like, well, evangelicals, 70% or more of the time vote for a specific party. Your entire religious beliefs are political in nature. Yeah. And you constantly try to push that. And yeah. And now you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So uh, there's a few more things in here about... Uh, not lending money to the poor and requiring them to charge interest and eating mangled meat in the fields and just some other general social laws, but none that really, I think, warrant the same amount of discussion. So we can go ahead and close it out here, and we'll see you again next time and uh, continue talking more about Exodus. Yep. Bye. Later. Later.